0: Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Any any green thumbs out there right now? Any, any of you guys uh, do well with plants? Go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, a couple, a couple. Yeah, most of you seem like you're like myself. I am not that at all. And my wife, she would tell you as well that she is not a green thumb. In fact, by her own admission, she calls herself a plant killer. Uh, And it's not like she just walks around trying to terrorize plants and, like, tear them out. But basically, when plants come into our home, they don't walk out. Plants don't generally walk out. But you know what I mean. Like, they they don't make it. Uh, And the ironic thing is that her mom owns a greenhouse. And she's a guru on this stuff. And so at one point, she actually gave my wife a cactus, thinking, you know, this is the easiest thing to sustain and, and... grow and the cactus didn't make it, right? So our house is full of plants, but just they're mostly plastic, right? But we have two plants in our house that our family is really rooting for. I mean, so much so that we've actually named them. It's, it's Fred and Wilma. And uh, we check on them constantly and we're, we're trying to see how they'll do. And at one point, Fred was not doing well. And as our family was kind of lamenting, another one biting the dust, uh, we realized that Fred had just outgrown his pot, and his roots were starting to affect the rest of the plant, because when the roots struggle, the whole plant struggles. So we carefully and meticulously got a bigger pot, and carefully got Fred out, and put him in this new pot, put water in it, and put it by the sun. And, and I'm happy to say, not only is thread not struggling anymore, but he's thriving. He's doing great, right? But it just kind of reminds me, yeah, one Fred fan in the, in the bunch. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll let him know that, that he's getting some love. I think it just reminds us of this, that the fruit of our lives, our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, or are really an outflow out of the, what's happening in the root of our life. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 39. I'll be reading from the ESV. And we're, there, we're in the middle of a series as a church called Renewed. We've been talking about the fact that we want to be a people that come together to know Jesus, become more like him, and help others do the same. And last week, Jeff did a great job of unpacking what it means to become like Jesus. And we want to pick that up again this week and look at more in-depthly on just more of what that looks like to become like Jesus. So if you're with me, we'll start in verse 39, and we will read uh, of chapter 6. And he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, before we go any farther, let's let's catch up on where we're at right now. We're in the middle of one of Jesus' messages. Uh, Oftentimes, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And there's some debate on whether this is Luke taking Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, found in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, and whether he's giving a synopsis there, or whether Luke is capturing another time when Jesus is talking to another group of people and sharing similar message to this other group of people to gentiles and you know for what it's worth i I think it might be a separate message in that day they didn't have podcasts so if you missed the message or you weren't in that original audience they would have to go and share that message again and so oftentimes they would share similar messages with different groups of people but that doesn't really matter what really matters is this jesus is sharing a message and in this message He's sharing something that he both wants us to take in and then to live out. So he doesn't want us to just listen to it. He wants us to actually live it as well. So he starts with a parable or a story. Actually, throughout his message, we're going to see that he's got four different parables that he's going to go through. The first one is a question with a follow-up question that just kind of leads you to the answer that you know to be true. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they... Not both fall into a pit? The answer is, duh, yeah. Kind of reminds me of when we were living in Colorado, and I had gotten a job at a ski resort in the, in the rental shop, mostly so I could get a free mountain pass, but also to provide a little bit of income on the side as well. So every Saturday, I would go up to the ski resort. And they gave me ski breaks, and I got a chance to get out there, and it was great. But I remember one day as I'm skiing, I'm on the lifts, and I see coming down the mountain this blind ski guide. Now, the the guide wasn't blind. That would be disastrous, right? The guide was guiding a a blind skier down the hill. And it was fascinating to watch. The guide had this speaker strapped to his waist in the back. And he would speak through this microphone to the the skier behind him. They both wore these orange vests that described uh, that there was a guide and a blind skier coming down the mountain. And there would be a second skier also that would ski behind him to make sure that the skier was following the directions of the guide in front. And make sure that he was uh, not going to run into anybody else coming down the slope. And so the, the guide would start out and he would say, all right, we're going to start down the mountain. And uh, go ahead and get some speed. We're going to start taking a right. And as he did this, the skier would follow right along. And he'd say, okay, we're going to ease up. We're going to go left here, start making that turn. And he would talk him all the way down the mountain. It was fascinating. For anybody that started skiing, just to be able to ski and get down the mountain is a feat in and of itself, let alone if you can't see. Now imagine I take another trip up the lift and I'm sitting on the lift and I look down and all of a sudden I see a blind skier coming down and a guide in front, but the guide is blind too. And he says, all right, we're going to start up, let's get some speed, we're going to take a right. Now just keep following me, it's all clear here. And you see that they're heading straight into the trees. It's going to be a disaster. They're going to break an arm, they're going to break a leg, they'll break their neck or something worse. And this is what Jesus is saying. Be careful who you're following because it can have disastrous consequences on your life. High schoolers, middle schoolers, this is why your parents are constantly asking so many questions about the friends that you have and the influences that are coming into your life because it matters. And no doubt in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees, these religious leaders that were trying to lead people astray, just for their own status. But he's not only speaking to the Pharisees or the middle schoolers or the high schoolers, he's speaking to all of us. He's cautioning us of how easy it is to allow influences to creep into our lives. So I wonder, what have you been listening to this week? What have you, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? What have you been learning? Because everyone is following someone or something so the question is, who is influencing and leading you? Which goes right to the second part of the same parable. In verse 40, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Will be like his teacher. Now, in this culture, to be a disciple is not just uh, something you did on the side. It was a significant thing. In fact, when you decided you were going to follow a rabbi, if a rabbi invited you to be their disciple and to follow them, you would leave everything to go follow them. You would oftentimes live with them. You would maybe sleep and eat in the same place. You would mimic their every move. In fact, we can find in, in the chapter just before this, Luke chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, it speaks to when Jesus was calling the disciple Levi. And listen to what he says. Verse 27, chapter 5. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. The desire was, if I'm going to be like this rabbi, I'm going to spend every waking moment that I can with this teacher. They were rarely in a spot where they would leave the rabbi's side for fear that they might miss a teachable moment. They watched the rabbi's every move. They leaned on his every word. They reflected on every situation in it. In in fact, they wanted to do it so much that they on their own would think the exact same thoughts that the rabbi was thinking that they then would go and act the exact same way that the rabbi would act in hopes that one day they too would be a rabbi just like the rabbi and have disciples that they could also lead to do the same. Our culture doesn't have much that would mimic this or reflect this. But here's the reality. This Jesus, this rabbi, still longs for us to have that same intentionality and abiding presence with him. It's not just this thing one day a week. He wants us to be following so closely that we're seeing his every move. We're in step. We're starting to think the way that he thinks to become like him. And remember, this message now is being spoken by the ultimate guide, the ultimate rabbi. He's saying, hey, you're not greater than teacher, but you can continue to follow. You can come and be like your teacher. The reality is you can't lead someone where you're not going yourself. So we have to start to reflect on where we're at, the position we're in. Because the desire is to become more like Jesus. And that leads into the second story. Verse 41, it says, Why do you see a speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First, take out the log. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye out. So, in your translation, you might see speck, and log, or plank, but it's it's helpful to know what he means when he's saying log here. This is uh, actually a word in Greek that means a load bearing beam. So, think of of a house or uh, of a structure. Think of driving by a construction site. Maybe you've seen those cranes that are putting in that main beam across the structure that everything else will rest on. Or maybe, maybe you've seen all the construction workers out there, 10, 12 guys underneath this huge beam they're trying to get in place for all the floorboards for the floor joists to go on top of. It's this massive thing. No doubt people are sitting there and this imagery is popping in their mind that would make them laugh a bit. What he's telling him is that in order for me to transform, I have to start by looking at myself. So just look at this picture for just a moment. You got this guy with this giant beam sticking out of his eye, and he's walking around trying to look at the speck in other people's eye. It just it reminds me of the guy that's carrying that extension ladder that goes way out in front, way out behind. And as people talk to him, they keep just turning around and everybody keeps ducking so they don't get whacked by the ladder as it swings around. It's that same idea. This guy is out there with this huge beam sticking out of his eye and he's trying to continue to comment on everybody else and what's happening in their their eye. There's no way you're getting that thing out. You can't even get close to him with a beam like that. He actually uses the word hypocrite. The word here has the meaning of an actor in a play. We've all seen movies with that actor that once you see him, you're like, ah, oh, I know exactly what this guy's gonna be like. The character is the same in every movie they're in. They're just a bad actor. But a good actor can take on a role that's completely different than another character they've played, or that if you would meet them in life, you would think, who is this person? They're completely different than what I saw on the screen. And yet he's saying, that's what we're living like. He's saying if we're walking around pointing out the sin of others, Acting like we don't have sin ourselves, we're the biggest hypocrite in the world. When non Christians have problems with Christians, what's one of the top things they always comment on? Those Christians. They're such a hypocrite. So, what he's asking us to do here is not be about comparison, but be about reflection. That's what I mean. I can always find somebody else that seemingly in my opinion has bigger sin issues in their life that's easy for me to do so I can walk around thinking well at least I'm not like that I'm doing all right here it seems like we often try to get Jesus Jesus come over here take a look at this yeah can you see that guy I can't believe what they're doing right and Jesus saying hey before we look at that guy let's look at this guy before we start to try or make any change or transformation or help others around us let's look inward first So right now, as I'm talking through this, if people are starting to pop in your mind from work or from home or from this room or wherever it is, and you're thinking, yeah, this is a message they need to hear, then Jesus would say, whoa, stop. This isn't for the yous in the room. This is for the me's in the room. This is for the I's in the room. Because it starts there. So he's asking us to get honest with ourselves, to get real with ourselves, to go beneath the surface. Maybe just think of this. Say after the service, you're going out with a group of people and you're going to grab some lunch. And you're sitting across the table with somebody. And as they're talking, you notice they have this chunk of green parsley stuck to their tooth. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. It's quite awkward. You're thinking, do I tell them about this? They're going to be embarrassed. I I, I think I should tell them about it. So some point during the meal, you excuse yourself and you go to the bathroom. You're you're taking care of business and then you're thinking like, okay, is this uh, something I should tell them about? But before you go out, you don't stop at the mirror and realize that you've got a giant glob of ketchup and a meatball hanging off your lip. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, I'm just going to go tell them about that parsley. And you walk right by the mirror back to the table and you start telling them about the uh, the parsley that's stuck on their lip, right? They're going to say, hey, buddy, next time you're in the bathroom, take a look at the mirror. Take a look at the reflection because it starts there. So he's not telling us that we don't help others, but he's telling us to start with ourselves. So here's a question maybe I could ask you about this. When is the last time that somebody helped you or told you about a sin issue in your life? I didn't say when was the last time you tried to help someone with a sin issue in their life. I said, when is the last time somebody tried to help you or told you about a sin issue in your life? If you're sitting there thinking and you can't really think of a time or it's been a long time ago, I can guarantee you this, it's not because there's not sin in your life. It may be because you haven't invited them to speak into that. It may be because you started isolating yourself. It may be because you won't accept it even if they did say it. Even if they did tell you, you wouldn't receive it because you would look at their life and think, well, who are they to tell me? Look at all the things in their life. I don't, I don't think there's any credibility in listening to what they have to say. Or maybe it's because you have a giant log sticking out of your eye and everybody's just trying not to get whacked by you with it. The thing that we have to start doing is inviting others into our lives. to Speak into us, to help shape us. That's why these online connect groups are so important to our church right now. Because there are blind spots in each one of our lives that we can lovingly start helping each other with. He's not saying that you don't help. He does say at the end, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he does want us to help one another, but he's saying here, first start with me. I think the reason he says it that way, he doesn't say, hey, take the speck out of your eye and then go help your brother with the log in their eye. It's because he wants to remind us of the humility that we need to have in realizing that we all are in a process of becoming more like Jesus. We all struggle with sin in different areas. So when I understand that and I come in that posture, I can start to help a friend in a way that will actually be helpful by highlighting maybe a sin issue in their life that I see rather than make it even hurtful and more harmful so this last week as i'm reading this passage i talked to my wife and i said julie you know are, are there any issues that i'm blind to right now and she was so gracious <laughs> she could have had a list right but she kindly just shared a few things but you know where it really became evident it was through the week so i kind of put her on a spot in one moment but as i was actually living my life This week had some things that derailed my schedule, took things out of control. And I started responding to those things. And Julie, at night, when I came home, she said, Josh, your attitude right now is distant. You're frustrated. You're kind of taking that out on us and our family. And in the midst of the week, there were things that started cropping out that she could very easily say, hey, here it is. And part of that stems from an invitation of others. To invite them into our lives. To speak into our lives. But he goes into yet another story. Verse 43. says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So if I'm going to an orchard. And I am hungry for a giant, delicious apple. And this orchard is full of fruit trees. I'm not going to walk over to the orange tree and get underneath it and wait for an apple to pop out. It's not going to happen. Instead, I need to go find where that apple tree is. And that, where that seed of an apple has been planted, where the root of an apple tree has sprouted, where, where it's grown up and where it's producing fruit is where I'm going to find an apple from an apple tree, right? No brainer. My kindergartners can tell you that. So he's telling us, uh, if you wanted to find a fig, which interestingly enough, was the most planted tree around this area, and they would go to it often to eat, then go to a fig tree to find it. If I go to a thorn bush, I'm gonna find thorns, not figs, right? Not only that, bramble bush. It's a rough, tangly, prickly shrub. I told you I'm not a green thumb. This was just my research on it, right? And some of them have fruit, some of them don't. Some of them may even be edible, but they were rarely eaten because they were painful to get to because of the dense thickets that were around them and the thorns. So if I want a grape, I'm not going to go to a bramble bush. In other words, what he's trying to say is that the character of the tree is always true to the fruit. The fruit is always true to the character of the tree. It's going to produce what is... What is within it, what it's made to produce. Or maybe another way to say this would be that the fruit reflects the root. I think he unpacks this in the next verse. Look at 45 with me. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, heart means a lot of things in a lot of different cultures. My brother has lived over in Papua New Guinea for the last 20 years, and he was in a tribe where he was learning the language. And he learned that when they were speaking in matters of the heart, things that we would say, oh, my heart, like I love you with all my heart, they would use the word gut, which I think would be really interesting on a Hallmark card. I love you with all of my gut, right? Guys are like taking notes, that's good, that's good. But in, in, the, in America here, we think of heart and we think of feelings or emotions. We think of heart being something that, uh, that it, 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 other things have control over. Like we say things like, they broke my heart or they captured my heart. It's kind of like this heart is this passive thing. But when we look at scripture, it doesn't speak of our heart at all as being passive. It speaks of it as being active. Luke 10, 27 says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Or Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's a loving heart. It's a seeking heart. In fact, Proverbs uh, 4, verse 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it saying there's this treasure that produces something. The things that I value produce something. Willard explained and described the heart this way, because it can be kind of hard to think through, what does that mean for us? He said, the heart is the executive center of the self. Or in other words, it's the the core of a person. It's, It's the innermost part of you that is your will and your intellect and your desires. I was trying to explain a little bit of this to our family. And we're talking about how Jesus has died to rescue us. And he wants our heart. He wants us to follow him. And he will actually, his spirit will come and live within us. My daughter was loading up this pile of pancakes with butter and with uh, syrup and with peanut butter and bananas, which is the only way to eat pancakes, by the way. And we prayed and she prayed and thanked God for the food. And then after she was done, she said, get ready, Jesus, because you're going to get messy, right? But the heart is that place within us that God has designed that, that actually produces. It's active. It's a reminder that the fruit of our lives, the actions, the attitudes, the words, the thoughts, are really an outflow of what's happening in the root of our life maybe simply said you live out what you truly love so what do you love because he tells us that out of the treasure of the heart produces things so if i love or i value safety and security i may struggle with being generous I may take every dollar that comes in and tuck it away just in case something might happen because that's what I love and I value safety and security. If you value others' acceptance, you may have a really hard time being honest or you may really struggle having a hard conversation that God's asking you to have. If you value your status, you may really hold on to things or you may put a promotion over a relationship. If you value control, you might be struggling with everything right now. What you value produces fruit out of your life. It's as though your heart is this treasure chest holding the things that matter most to you, that are most valuable to you, and out of that come things you do, good or bad. In this it says a good person produces good and an evil person produces evil. Maybe a way to think of this is that a good person when it speaks of good, it's thinking, speaking of the things that are um, consistent with God and with who he is. But Evil would be the things that are not consistent with God, the, the things that are contrary to God and who he is. So just think through your actions this last week. What words, what attitudes, what actions were consistent with what you know to be the nature of God? Where did that come from? So we could say this, maybe even like if I try to put it tangibly, a, a truthful person who values God will produce honesty, right? But a deceitful person who values saving face is going to produce lies. So what you value actually comes out into your life. And it's not just trying to think, I can do this differently. I'm going to get this. Jeremiah 29, uh, 17 verse 9 actually says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. What we need is a complete heart transplant. I can't just try to do it on my own. So here's the key. In order for my actions to change, my affections have to change. I was reading through Psalms when I was younger and memorizing a verse, and this really kind of unlocked what this was meaning for me. Psalms verse 37 verse 4 says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I remember thinking this is awesome. All I have to do is delight in God and figure out what that means and he's going to give me what my heart desires. He's going to give me that Ferrari, he's going to give me that fame, it's going to be all good. Because oftentimes when we think of change in life that we want to happen, And when we think of our partnership with God, we think of what we want God to do for us. So we get in a job that we're having difficulty with. And we ask, God, would you give me a new job? Or we get into a relationship where there's a struggle. And we ask, God, would you change that other person? Or we start having financial struggles or challenges. We ask, God, would you give us more money? And at times, God does give you a new job. At times, he may change that other person. At times, he may give you more resources. But it's not what God will do for you, it's about what God wants to do in you. Do you realize that the circumstances that you're in are an opportunity for God to change and transform and work in you? God doesn't just catapult you into the kingdom and boom, you're transformed. You're changed. He actually comes and walks with you through this life, through difficult things, wanting to continue to change our heart in the process. So as I walk with him, as I delight in him, as I find my satisfaction in him and him alone, then he says he will give me the desires of my heart. Not that he's giving me what my heart desires. It's that he's taking his desires and placing them in my heart. I start to desire the things he desires. And in that, I'm walking in step with my rabbi. So maybe a way to check that is to just think, what are the things I treasure and value most? What are those things I love? A pastor friend of mine said, ask these four questions as you're going throughout the week. What am I producing? So think through this past week. What are the actions? What are the words? What are the attitudes That I've been displaying this past week. And if you think, oh man, there was that one time this happened. Then start to dig in a little bit more. Maybe it was one of those fruits that you're not grateful that was coming about in your life. Maybe it's one of those fruits that don't reflect Jesus and his ways. So when I ask, what am I producing? Then I can ask, when am I producing it? What's happening at that time? And what's my inner world being filled up with before that fruit is produced? Finally, what's that reveal that I am treasuring? So, as I told you, this past week, schedule schedules changing, I started thinking through okay, my attitude came out in worry, it came out in frustration, it came out in being not present with my family. So, as these things are happening, what was happening? Well, things out of my control were taking place that I couldn't do anything about. They were different than I had planned. So, what's it showing me that I value most? Control. What's Jesus saying? Josh, you can't control everything. Value me and follow me no matter what situation you're in. It's not just trying to work harder. Grapevines are not noisy places. You don't hear a bunch of grapes grunting. Come on, guys, we can do it. Work harder. And then all of oh. a sudden, like, that's not how it works, right? The grapes are meant to, be stayed, to stay connected on the vine, which is connected to the branches, It's this abiding principle that Jesus talks about in John 15 as we remain in him, as we abide in him, as we follow him, as he becomes our most treasured thing in this world. We can actually have our actions start to change because our affections are being changed. Change happens through abiding. I was talking with Dan Lehman, Kurt's son, uh, earlier this year, and he was sharing a story with me. For those of you that don't know, Kurt was the guy that planted this church years ago, but he said in the morning he would wake up and he would pivot to the side and before his dad's feet would hit the floor, he would would pray this. He'd say, God, you are, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my day today. Bring somebody across my path that I could influence for you today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my life today. Bring somebody across my path that I can influence for Jesus today. I thought, what a great way to start your day. in this abiding presence to follow this rabbi so closely. God, you are welcome in my life. It's not what I want you to do for me. It's, it's whatever you have planned, I'm gonna follow you in it. I told Dan that I have this, this prayer on my mirror that I often pray in the, uh, in the morning as I'm brushing my teeth and then at night as I'm brushing my teeth and reflecting on the day, just in that same posture of wanting to walk throughout the day with Jesus. Dan said, Josh, who knew that brushing your teeth was doing more for your heart than it was for your teeth? I thought that's a good point. Change and transformation comes through abiding. It's it's the reality that we need Jesus all throughout the day. It's so crazy to me that Christians, we think that we can go throughout the day and at some point in our life, realize that we have a need for a savior and that we can do nothing for salvation apart from what Jesus has done for us. So we say, Jesus, I trust in what you've done on the cross for my sins. I accept you as my Savior. But then from that point on, we try and say, I got it from here, right? Jesus, I need you completely for, that, for salvation, but then I'll take it from here. Salvation is not an event with God. It's a life with God. And he wants us to abide, to walk with him. So change happens through abiding, but change also happens through Aligning. And you can't have one without the other. Look at v- verse 46 and what he continues to say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So not only is he telling us what we should do, but he wants that to flow out through our lives. Imagine this. It's kind of like a family that has, uh, is taking care of their kids. They, they're cooking for them. They're doing household chores. At some point, the dad just tells the son, hey, I want you to go. And wash the dishes so the son goes away dad goes looking for him after a while he tries to find him he finds him in his room he says what, what are you doing here I thought I told you to go wash the dishes and his son says dad I memorized what you said you said son go wash the dishes that, that's great I, I'm not asking you to memorize what I said I'm asking you to go do what I said right so I want you to go wash the dishes dad goes away son comes back a little bit later I mean this could go on and on But the son comes back, and the dad's like, okay, did you you wash the dishes? He says, no. But dad, check this out. I memorized what wash the dishes means in Greek. It's katharizo paterion. His dad's saying, "That's okay, well done, nice. But what I want you to do is actually go wash the dishes. What do you think the dad's hoping the son will do? Think about it sit and listen to a sermon about it, go take notes, study it, maybe gather all his friends together and figure out the best ways to go wash dishes? Or does he want him to go wash dishes? Part of my life in transformation is realigning from the things that I want to do into the things God wants to do as I learn them, then living those out. Change happens through aligning. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. There's a savior that's abiding within us. Transformation and change and becoming more like Jesus is not just behavior modification. It's about a heart change. It's about learning from Jesus how to arrange my days with this life that I walk. It's about finding what he is telling me to do and listening to the spirit and realigning and adjusting where he's at there and listen to the spirit that he asks us to do this in verse 47 everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them i will show you what he's like he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock And when the flood arose the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built jesus is not sitting here with his arms crossed saying hey i want you to do what i said now go and do it. No, he's invited us into something with him that has incredible benefits. It's not saying you're avoiding the floods. But when they come, you're built on something different. I imagine Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee or up on, on the mountainside, and he's looking over the sea, and he's seeing the river. And those that he's talking to, he's pointing to. And, and you see these houses right next to the river as it's going out. You see these other houses farther up. The Romans may have built. And the houses down by the river, they look the same. One of the builders may have gotten way better price. He didn't pay half as much as the guy across the river. And it took way less time. The guy just came and built it, no foundation at all, great for the budget, and it looks the same. The other guy, his house took twice as long. Seemed like nothing was happening, it was all underground. Finally, this house pops up and he spent way more for it. But you look at them both and they look the same. But then the circumstances of life come, the floods come, the difficulty and pressure, financial loss, the relational breakdowns, the other events of life occur. And what you found under the surface holds true. I can fake a lot of other people out, but I can't fake God out. And he's inviting me to be with him, to walk with him. The interior of my life will continue to produce fruit in and through my life. I like the way Colossians chapter two, verse six and seven, describes what we've just been talking about. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him when your f- then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Jesus longs for us to be a people that come together to know him and to become more like him. And he's going to give you that opportunity this week. So the decision is yours. Will you follow this rabbi? Will you abide with him? And as he starts to reveal in your life the things to realign to follow him in your words, in your thoughts, in your attitudes, in your actions, will you adjust your life to where he's leading and produce the fruit that's consistent with the king? Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, thank you that you didn't call us to do something in this world that we have no ability or power to do. In fact, we don't have the power and ability to do it, but we do with you. God, thank you for the way that you have joined with us here, for the way that you have sent your son to be with us and then your spirit to remain with us. God, I pray this week we would be able to continue to abide with you throughout the week not just give you parts and times of our week, but God, to truly walk, to to seek where you're going every step throughout the day, to learn from your words, to follow your example, to watch how you handle situations, to listen to your spirit. God, we want to be a people that are in step with you every moment of our lives. We want to be a people that reflect more and more of who you are. God, we want to be a people that are honest with our sin and with our struggle with one another. God, we want to be a people that look like you. So whatever we are walking in this room with, God, I pray that your spirit would work on our hearts. And God, as we leave this room, I pray that we would experience the blessing of what it means to walk and follow and become more like you, even this week. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.